The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Madam, my visits to Hartfield happen for yourself only and the encouragement I receive. Encouragement! You must be the best judge of your own happiness. I have caused you great suffering, as I have also caused the suffering of my friend. You are entirely mistaken, sir. I have no thoughts of matrimony at present. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I am Isla Addington. And I'm Tobin Addington, and we have a very special guest with us tonight, tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to us or, uh, or recording. Uh, we have a, a, a Jane Austen expert with us, uh, Shawnee Mead. Shawnee, welcome to The Contenders. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I was like, okay, I can uh, spread my Jane Austen expertise around the podcast. <laughs> I love it. We need it. We do. We do. We need all the expertise we can get uh, here. Um, sorry, I wasn't paying attention that the next thing was me. It's you. Hey, you next, Iceland. Speaking of the podcast you're listening to, um, head on over. Is it where is it? Tea Public. Um, it is. And get some of our. The Are you a host of this show? Are you on the show regularly? Or. I was listening to a show earlier that stuff is on Podswag. So Podswag came to my Ooh. mind. I was like, I don't think that's that. T Public to get some The Contenders swag. Love those notebooks, sweatshirts, tote bags, keychains, mugs, really all the all the things that you have around your house. They could you could have them, but they could <laughs> say The Contenders on them. So they could. They could. Uh, check that out. Um, and thank you so much for joining us for our discussion of Emma, period, from 2020. Um, so who <laughs> who watched Emma, right? Everybody? Yeah. Everybody did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did anybody – so did this come out in the theaters or not because of pandemic? It came out in the States in the theaters. Mm, Shani, did this play in the theaters? Yeah, it did. Um, It got cut short, but it did. I saw it in the cinema. That was the last thing I ever saw in a cinema. (gasps) Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, it came out for us. Last one, if it had to be the last one. Yeah, and then it came out sort of um, straight to VOD with that special. Like, you had to pay full price kind of thing but i did watch it again because i'd wanted to see it in cinemas again but i couldn't go so. couldn't go I, I think it was i think it was the last movie my wife saw in the movie theater too uh she went went to the to the roxy here uh and saw it um short, shortly before everything everything locked down um so shani you saw this uh, the first of the three of us then i think as in you didn't go in the, to the theater did you no i did not so when when did when was your first uh uh viewing of emma Iceland. Um, I watched it uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. <laughs> okay, good. And were you aware of it before? Had it crossed your radar along the way? The uh, poster image was familiar to me. 
for sure. And then uh, I am a, a fan of a number of the actors in it. And so from, because, um, I, I had said briefly before we started recording to Tobin, like this is this was a reunion of all my Netflix friends um, because I, I I have enjoyed uh, Johnny Flynn in Lovesick, formerly titled Scrotal Recall, mm-hmm. um, and then I'm a huge fan of Sex Education, and um, I love these sort of unlikely heroes uh, from Sex Education that show up in this, and so um, so I was kind of a, a, aware of it from following those folks, but I hadn't, I don't know, uh, pandemic, it sort of came and went from my um, brain until I saw the uh, DVD this summer um, because uh, Tobin had provided it uh, so that I could watch it. Yeah. And Shani, we passed through it a little too, uh, too quickly. I forgot to ask what, what was your what's your what's your history with with Emma as a as a character, as a story? And in this movie, were you aware of it before it emerged in the cinema? What, what's your history with um, Emma? Yeah, I was aware of it because um, I love Jane Austen adaptation. So I'm kind of when I hear about one coming out, I'm sort of all a quiver waiting, for, waiting to see it, um, even though I've seen every I think I've seen every version of Emma because there's I think this is about the fifth one. Um, Emma's not exactly my favorite Jane Austen because Emma's not my favorite character, but, um, I'll, you know, I'll see anything Jane Austen really. So, um, but I was waiting for this one to come out. I was quite excited about it and it sort of ended up being kind of one of my favorite adaptations, even though it's not my favorite story. So that's, you know, that's how good it was. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Tobin? What's, what are your, um, What's your history with Emma? Uh, so I've seen a, not all of the adaptations, but a few of them. The Gwyneth Paltrow adaptation. There's a BBC adaptation that oh. I saw, I think, in high school. Um, Clueless, um, obviously. Uh, and then I, I taught a an adaptation class in uh, at the university here uh, for a semester where we read novels or manga or um, nonfiction books that were turned into movies and then read the scripts and then watched the movies. Um, and so one of the, one of the books that we read was Emma to, to read the script of clueless and watch clueless to see how, uh, sort of that kind of adaptation, um, uh, might work. Um, so that's when I read the book and pride and prejudice is my favorite book. Um, uh, and so, um, uh, I was, uh, Emma is also not my favorite Jane Austen, <laughs> Jane Austen novel. Um, but I, I I still enjoy it. I mean, I I, I had a good time with it. But it's it what it, it wasn't um, it, not my favorite. Um, but so I knew this movie was coming out. I was ex- I was I thought it looked beautiful. I was really excited to see it. And then for whatever reason, I didn't before it got yanked from theaters and theaters shut down. Um, and so uh, uh, I was planning to see it and then didn't get to. So I didn't get to see it till it came out on DVD. Um, and then have watched it I think three times since it, it came out on DVD. Um, uh, and once with my seven and a half year old, uh, which was lots of fun. Um, uh, so Sh- Shawnee, can I ask what what is your favorite Jane Austen? Um, oh, it sort of changes all the time, but I feel like, um, I feel like it's one of her other ones. It doesn't get as much, uh, adaptation love. I think Persuasion is my favorite, <clears throat> even though that's now getting two films next year. Ooh, yeah. When we're excited about Persuasion all of a sudden. And, um, <laughs> I think Pride and Prejudice is probably my next favorite, but, um, yeah. And Emma's in the middle somewhere, but yeah. <laughs> somewhere down there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cool. Wonderful. Yay. 
Do I need to look at the outline again? Yeah. Can, uh, I, can I give you two bits of film history? <laughs> Tobin, I would love two bits of film history. Short, short, uh, short bits. Uh, the first is that uh, Autumn DeWild, this is her first feature film. She's the director of, of this version of Emma. Um, and uh, she, she is kind of amazing. Uh, let me, let me take a step back. Um, there have been a number of um, filmmakers who've gone on to have really strong careers whose first films were Jane Austen adaptations. I'm thinking particularly about Joe, Joe Wright, who had directed a lot of TV in, in, um, in the UK and then um, made uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice. Um, and that was a, that was a real, um, uh, so, so it's, there's a precedent for that. And I cannot wait to see what, um, what uh, Autumn DeWild does next. The second bit is, do either of you know where the period came from in the title of the, of the film? I do not. No, I don't. <laughs> Autumn DeWild's idea was that it's a period piece. So they should put a period uh, in the title. Which yeah. I, think, I think it's kind of Too fun. Much. I, I think like it's it. kind of fun. You know, I, I like get it. tired of the exclamation points in movies. That feels like too much. But the period is like, you know, it's like just cheeky enough. I, th- I thought it was I thought it was uh, uh, literary and, and nice. So anyway, those are my two bits of, uh, of film history for Emma. I love it. Well, then I will tell you about some of the women involved in front of and behind the camera. So as uh, to when you mentioned director Autumn DeWild, uh, writer of the screenplay, Eleanor Catton, writer of the original novel, Jane Austen. Producers Amelia Granger, Thea Paulette, Catherine, Catherine Pomfrey, and Joe Wallet. Actors Anya Taylor Joy, Mia Goth, Amber Anderson, Gemma Whelan, Tanya Reynolds, and Chloe Peer. That's my day. It's Peary, isn't it? Yeah, but. I like it. Okay. I'll do whatever you want. Okay. I'm sure she won't mind. Ah, um, music, Isabel Wallerbridge. Casting, Jessica Ronane. Production design, Cave Quinn. Art direction, Andrea Matheson and Alice Sutton. Set direction, Stella Fox. And costume design, Alexandra Byrne. Uh, Tobin, is that is Isabel Waller Bridge related to Sist- Phoebe Waller Bridge? Sisters. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> I think I she did the music for the show for that show too. I think. Okay. Well, learning things right. every Talented day. Family. <laughs> Talented, Talented family. Talented family. <laughs> I think that's the most dings we've ever had. That's a lot I of have, dings. It's a lot of dings. So that's that's cool. That's yeah. cool. A lot of dings and a number of lists as well. It wasn't just one name. (laughs) Right, right. All right. I am ready for a summary. Tobin, do you have an Emma summary for us? Kind of. So here it goes. Based on the 1995 Amy Heckerling comedy Clueless. (laughs) Just kidding. Based on Jane Austen's classic novel, Emma. No. No. Yeah. Oh, see, I wrote this wrong. Okay. Based on Jane Austen's classic novel, Emma, the film follows its wealthy young Regency era heroine, Emma, 
played by everyone's favorite chess player, Anya Taylor-Joy, as she moves through society, making new friends and attempting to play matchmaker. By turns misguided and meddlesome, Emma's schemes often cause more trouble than they're worth, but this deliberately lighthearted take on the story keeps the colors bright, the costumes spectacular, and the pace sprightly. In the end, Emma finds a match of her own in the form of a handsome close friend and only agrees to marry him if they can all live with her dad so he doesn't get lonely. Uh, really, it's it's really, really quite sweet. And her dad is played by, by Bill Nighy. So what are you going to do? <laughs> I give yeah. you Emma. That's great. <laughs> That's... There it is. Oh, funny. funny so funny. we know that Shawnee loved this movie because she was going to go to it again in the theater and didn't have a chance. Is it so? Is it, it, where does this stack? Just in general. In Jane Austen theatrical non TV adaptations of, of of Jane Austen work, where does this lo- sit for you right now in in the Jane Austen sphere? Um, well, I feel like it's quite it's quite up there. I think it's probably top three. I think it's sort of my favorite at the moment, but um, I haven't seen the others <laughs> for a bit, so it might change. But <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely um definitely up there, and it's also one of my favorites because it's one of the I think there's only about two Jane Austen adaptations of ever that have been directed by women. I mean, some of the sort of modern adaptations have been directed by women, but I do find I do find that disappointing when I went back through and I was like, mm, um, seeing as Jane Austen is one of the most celebrated female authors of all time, um, I feel <laughs> like, you know, her films should be directed by women more often. But um, I think... The next one's coming up, the Persuasion adaptations. I think they're both directed by women, so that's, mm-hmm. that's good. That's where we should be uh, <laughs> moving to, I think. I think there's <laughs> enough men have made Jane Austen, so I think we can uh, they can have a rest and uh, <laughs> the ladies can move in to direct. So I think that's fair. Exactly. They can take a break here, here. for sure. <laughs> T- take a knee, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was I was um, looking at um, f- the other day for other reasons at um, Pride and Prejudice adaptations, wondering if there'd ever been one that was directed by a woman. And the only one I could find out of the and the, at all TV as well as as well as movies. And the only one I could find was a night, I think, 1967 mi- British miniseries um, with a which is kind of impressive that there was a, a woman directing a British miniseries in the 60s, um, I, I, I suppose. Um, uh, but that's the only one I could find of like a billion Pride and Prejudice adaptations. So um, yes, it's wonderful that, the, that there will be more. Um, Aislinn, did you like Emma overall as much as Shani did? I, I did really like it. I was so <laughs> the adaptation that I am most familiar with is Clueless. I'm sorry. <laughs> it came out just at the right time in my life that I have had it accidentally memorized for about half of my life. So <laughs> I when I sat down to watch it, I was like, okay, I'm concerned that there's so much clueless in my mind that like I'm going to get lost. So I did read the Wikipedia to try to like set myself up for success. And I should have just watched it because that made, I think that made it worse at first. Yeah. Um, but I, I, for me, I think this was similar a little bit to the recent um, little women in that my memory of 
uh, kind of the the um, not original, but the the Gwyneth Paltrow version was mm-hmm. the other one that I had seen was sort of very pastel and subdued. And so that's kind of what I expected based on the f- front poster. Mm-hmm. But I, I think like your um, synopsis said, Tobin, there is sort of so much life and breath and like a freshness in a world that mm-hmm. I think could easily not feel fresh. Um, that being said, I did go down a rabbit hole this afternoon of like the variety of servants that were in households in the Regency era and all that. So like freshness in other ways may or may not have been around, but, um, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was uh, much more lively than I anticipated. Mm. Um, and then also, how do I say it? Like, what's the right word for um, chaste and also super sexy? <laughs> like, question. The, I- like at the ball, like the dance scene. Yeah. Was really intense. Mm. And weren't even wearing gloves. I got all like, oh, skin. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else had gloves on, but it was like, oh, no gloves. It's all like, you know, yeah. hands and like, warts and bodies. Yeah. And, <laughs> and buns. I did not expect buns. And there were buns early on in this movie. Yeah. They, they, they front the buns in they the movie. Really did and I appreciate that because I thought if there's buns here there could be buns later <laughs> I think they were the first Jane Austen adaptation buns I'm pretty sure I think <laughs> well done well done buns <laughs> yeah I so my um, my favorite Jane Austen adaptation is Sense and Sensibility because I love Emma Thompson and it yeah that one that's one that hit me just at the perfect time in my in my, in my life um um but I've, I've read she has a there's a script for that uh she wrote the script for the movie and then they published the script with her diary of shooting the movie and it's a wonderful um uh sort of uh document if you if you can track that down um so I sort of measure every adaptation that I see against that movie. That's just sort of my, you know, my ur text when it comes to filmed um, uh, Jane Austen, uh, like featured Jane Austen stuff. This was wonderful. I loved how light this movie was like a, and this is going to sound pejorative and I don't mean it to, but it's like a meringue. Like it's, it's beautifully light and, and, and that's a hard tightrope to walk. And I, I don't mean that it doesn't get, um, like when she went to jump near the end, when Emma is so cruel at that like picnic and feels so, I, I get chills just thinking, about it. I mean, you really feel, I really felt the emotion of it, but, but there was like a, it wasn't just, um, I, some of the, some of the critiques of the movie are that the bright costumes and the feathers and the, were like covering up a thinness to the material. Um, and I, I didn't find that at all. I found it to be, to be buoyant. Um, and I think that's really hard to do in, in movies in general. Um, but particularly when you're working with kind of, you know, classic, (laughs) classic literature. So I was pretty blown away, uh, by this movie. I really, really, really enjoyed it. One of my favorite viewing experiences. And I really, I I also probably really needed it in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) Like this movie comes on DVD, like, this is what I want right now. I need, I need this sense of like escape, but not, um, diversion or diversion, but not escape. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, so I, I love this movie. I think this movie is really good. 
Uh, do you, uh, do you, do either you have a favorite performance? Cause there's so many, there's so many good performances in the movie. And I'm wondering if there's one that stood out as, as especially strong for either of you. <clears throat> I think each time I see it, it's slightly different. I think cause I maybe notice something. Uh, mm. See, I was going to say, I think Mr. Elton, but I don't want to talk about a man character. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. ah, ah. Well, we could have categories. We could have favorite male performance yeah. and famous film performance if if we want. All right. Well, I think um, I think each time I watch it, I think because every other adaptation, Mr. Elton, I think they always get it a bit wrong. Like he always seems really just like sleazy, mm. and I don't think I don't think that's quite right because he's kind of. Clearly, because even then in like Clueless, like when he's Elton, clearly he's meant to mm-hmm. be the same level as, you know, Cher or Emma. Like he's meant to kind of be yep. kind of an eligible guy about town. But every other adaptation, he doesn't seem like that because it doesn't seem like anyone would want to marry him because he's really gross. <laughs> right. But right. in this one, but you meant to think that Harriet kind of, you know, falls head over heels for this kind of dashing vicar of the village. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I feel like in this one, they kind of, <clears throat> they kind of got it right because he's not creepy. Well, he's kind of creepy, but in like a funny, creepy sort of way. But he, it's more that he just thinks he's kind of clearly he's high level. In the, if he thinks that he and Emma could get married, clearly he's kind of not below her <laughs> level because she's kind of like the highest level of the town because she's right really yeah. fancy and rich and. But I feel like he's more. I think he just thinks he's a bit above himself, perhaps. He's a bit full of himself, but he's not kind of... And I find, I find like, Josh O'Connor's, like, hand acting is hilarious. Like, every, like he's just completely over yes. the top, and he's, like, waving his weird, creepy little hands everywhere. But I feel like that is sort of the best portrayal, I think, because the others just come across a bit like, ugh. But I think he's meant to be less worse than Mrs. Elton. I think it's meant to be kind of like <laughs> Mrs. Elton is his punishment for like getting above himself. But I think in this adaptation it's clear that he realizes that Mrs. Elton is the worst, but he's kind of chosen her, so he's stuck with her. And he kind of just because lately he can the end by he's kind of just zoning out whenever she's like speaking or there and it's like he has to keep like reminding himself that he's in the room with his wife. <laughs> But I feel like male performance-wise, I feel like Bill Knight is perfect as well. Like, he is the best Mr. Woodhouse. Like, his screens. I love that he's such a hypochondriac. <laughs> yes. like, he's so <laughs> draft. the draft. And the poor, oh like, you goodness. know, his poor, like, ballet guys in the back. And he's like, see, did you feel that? Did you feel that? Mrs. Weston would have felt the draft. And they're, like, running. And the poor, that, I love that the, you know, servants, the two of them are always just smirking because they're kind of like, this is ridiculous, but we have a right. cushy job, but like our job is silly, but <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. maybe the servants are my favorite male performance in the, in the movie as, as a, as a whole, because there is, there's a sort of a Greek chorus thing. Not really though. Cause they're not really, but they're like commenting, as you say, smirking to each other and like, they recognize how ridiculous this all is. And so there's, it punctures some of the self seriousness of the scenes as they're sort of written um, in a way that I think adds to that sense of like um, uh, uh, sort of anchoring the buoyancy of the, of the thing. These guys are like, Oh my God, we got to do this. <laughs> like uh, I, I just, I crack up every time that they run, run for whatever's next or sort of roll their eyes. Uh, I said, what about you? Favorite performances? 
Yeah. I mean, certainly, yeah, the servants are interesting. Again, I went on a whole rabbit hole about all the servants because I was just so taken by how many people were in the room at any given time. Mm. And then also that they're just sometimes at the whims of these very ridiculous young people that I just, yeah, I could feel the eye rolls. Um, yeah, I think Bill Nye was so good in the, like, he was so awkward in a, in a number of moments that I, I really liked and I, I thought was a choice. Um, and then, I don't know, also just kind of transparent. Like, he doesn't want her to leave and yeah. he doesn't want her sister to have left. And, and that kind of, he was more um, sort of open and warm than I thought he might be again when my comparison is clueless. Um, (laughs) And then I don't know. I think like Emma and Harriet together are so like both those performances are so good. Um, Harriet, right. Is, is the, her, her, Mia Goth, the friend, not apprentice, but like her, her kind of new little friend under her wing. Yeah. Yes. And she's just trying so hard. And I think especially, um, you know, in the in the beginning, there's a or the early parts, you know, there's a like a tea scene where you can see that she's like watching whatever Emma does. And and she's looks around at the servants and things that Emma doesn't because like this is her world. Right. And so she does such a great job of being out of place without saying she's out of place. But then by the end, when she sort of stands up and is like, what, what, like, what do you, how did I get here? Oh yeah. You led me here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I was really, I was really impressed. Um, and I guess I was trying, what was I trying? It's not that I was trying not to be impressed with Anya Taylor, joy, joy, Taylor, Taylor, joy, Taylor, joy. Um, I think, so I watched the Queen's Gambit at some point in the pandemic in the whatever. And, and absolutely her, she is so expressive and has such a look that part, I guess I was a little bit skeptical at the beginning of like, oh, is this just, is kind of her natural face going to do all the work? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it's not. I think she's really, really good at it. But I will admit to being skeptical at the beginning of just like, is it just eyes and ringlets? But um, but I do think she does an amazing job of being ridiculous and being so like, yes, I am the center of the universe. Everyone spin at the beginning. <laughs> and then at the end, like she still is the center of the universe. But like she seems to have you know, a, a better grounding in these, Some all, these are humans mm-hmm. and, and, and while they're not, you know, the same as you, um, they should be, you know, treated like, like humans <laughs> and not for your amusement. So, um, so I think the, the kind of growth of both those characters was played really, really beautifully. Shani, this gets to a question I wanted to ask you specifically as our Jane Austen expert, because some people that I know and some critics have, have um, uh, been cooler on the movie because of Anya Taylor-Joy's performance, that her that her portrayal of Emma either wasn't um, – the way I hear it is it wasn't how they imagined it based on other portrayals or the or the source material. How did you feel about how she played Emma and, and how this particular Emma maybe – reads against the the book or other adaptations 
Um, well, I feel like this Emma, I feel like she works. Like, I feel like she's actually pretty perfect as an Emma, not just looks wise. Like, clearly, she's like very striking and has that, you know, clearly, she's at the center of Hartford because she's this, like, you know, fancy lady and all her bright yellows and everything. But yeah. I feel like other adaptations, like the one that has Kate Beckinsale in it, I feel like she just kind of played it like she's just mean. I don't really, the mm. Emma's just kind of like, she's mean, she's haughty, she just kind of thinks she's better than everyone all the time. I didn't really, the Gwyneth one, I just sort of blocked that one out of my mind because that, that movie <laughs> is terrible and I just don't have any time for that one. But I feel like, yeah, as Emma's go, I feel like she kind of gets the right balance. And it, this one, I feel like it shows that she does actually have some growth over the time because some of the adaptations, it gets a bit, it's kind of, you know, she's really nasty to Miss Bates. She kind of apologizes, but not really. And then she just moves on with her life and then she gets a happy ending. But this one, I feel like there was definitely, you could feel the growth and it was sort of at times she was a bit haughty and she got caught up, you know, with Frank Churchill, who's the worst. She got caught up with him (laughs) and got like nasty, but often it was sort of, it seemed more like it was definitely, he was leading that and she was kind of just going along with the tone of the conversation. Mm -hmm. But um, I do feel like in her, interactions with others it is kind of more this one more it seems like her and Harriet are actually best friends because sometimes it can seem a bit that she's just hanging out with Harriet because Mrs Weston has moved and there's no one else but it's kind of she's just putting up with her but this one definitely feels like she cares as much about Harriet as Harriet does about Emma which is often I feel like that's often lost because Harriet just always seems like this silly sort of fool that's following her around but this one it definitely felt more of like an even well, not even, but it felt more of a sort of equal friendship at times because clearly Emma does lead yeah. her down the garden There was path. affection back and forth. Yeah, yeah, and I liked that. And I liked that she actually had sort of growth, but also even in one of their first conversations about when Emma's talking about she doesn't want to get married, that it just seems really, like, practical, that it's kind of like, well, I don't want to do that, I don't need to because I pretty much run my own house because, right. like, I'm a lady <laughs> of pleasure, I don't need a job, I don't. So it's very much like she's not, she doesn't have time for that. And it's really, she kind of, this one seems more like her matchmaking. It comes from a really good place, but it's more misguided also because she kind of doesn't really have any realistic view of society because she's kind of at the top level. So she has no idea what the little people are doing and like what, (laughs) what real life is about. But, um, and it seems more, coming from like a place of affection rather than she has nothing else to do with her time that she has to meddle right but i think it's more she just wants everyone else to be happy so but she thinks she's the best person to do that when actually probably <laughs> everyone would have been happier <laughs> if emma had just uh except for you know mr and mrs weston good match there yeah. but everything else okay. she probably should have just left that alone <laughs> Stayed out of it. But, yeah um, <laughs> I read while we're still in the on the Emma of the Emma. I read online that um, Anya Taylor Jones, no Joy Taylor Joy. I, this is a hard one for me. I apologize. Yeah. Um, can make her nose bleed on command. Wow! Really? Mm. That's yeah, amazing. That they were like prepared to do a thing. So that's not in the book, correct? No, that's not in the book. But I had read okay. something that they thought. It would be sort of like a weird, sort of unexpected kind of stress response, I think. But I had read that. And also my DVD has bloopers on it. But I think actually what they were doing, I think they'd put like fake kind of blood 
like down the sure. back of her nose or something. But I think because she can also have a blood nose on command, but I think also she had like the blood and stuff in there to prepare, but then all of a sudden she started having a real blood nose. So they were kind of like yeah. trying to like tip her head back to stop it. So then the real blood could actually come out at the time. But it was, wow. <clears throat> so I think what you see on wow. screen is actually her real blood nose, <laughs> but they had to like quickly just like wow. rush and film it. Cause, but they had the fake blood on standby, but right. she then all of a sudden was just like, here I go. We've got to like hurry up and film this bit. Cause it's, it's happening. So, <laughs> Tobin, as wow. a child, you also could make your nose bleed on command, correct? <laughs> what, because it got hit so many times? No, just because you, you had, didn't you, there was a period where you had a lot of bloody noses. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, 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 I yes, <laughs> I can't manifest it quite like, quite like that. That would be really impressive. Yeah. Um, Tobin, did you have a favorite performance? I, I so there's so many sparkly performances in this movie. I feel like it could go on and on. I think overall my, my feeling is that they all feel so real. Like I feel like real people, even when they're being ridiculous. Um, and, and I, and I really appreciate that again in this movie, that's very, that's, that's, that's like kind of floating. They all, they still feel like they're real relationships and, and, and real people. I think my favorite, this last watch was probably um, Tanya Reynolds as Mrs. Elton. Um, uh, I, I get such a kick out of her in sex education. Um, and when she first showed up, when I first saw this, I thought, who is that? I know that actress so well, but I couldn't place it. And then as soon as I, I then I can't see anything else, but she, you know, there's, um, you know, to, to, to play, I mean, not really a villain, but like someone that is, um, a, to play someone obnoxious and perhaps, um, uh, perhaps unkind or I, there, there's a, there's a, she seems to like just go all in and it is hysterical and cringy in all the right ways, I think. And yet she, she feels like there, there, there are moments where, again, it feels very real. Like it feels out of a little sense of desperation and trying to, trying to keep up, you yeah. know, like she's, she's in over her head a little bit, it feels like. And it's, it's just a matter of like scrambling to kind of keep, status or whatever, like make sure that people know that she should be here and in this position. And, and that's kind of desperation underneath the, the, I just find that to be such a, again, a fine line that she's walking. And I um, sort of like love and hate her scenes <laughs> in equal measure. Uh, but I, I think her performance is pretty amazing uh, in this movie. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I love her in sex education. And so um I was looking forward to it. So I don't know if I can like be as delighted because I, I was anticipating it, but you um, knew she was in it before you mm, saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought, yeah, what a great, and then also it's just sort of funny. Like the two sex education people that are in it, like are not very much in each other's orbit on that show. So it's kind of like they, like they took two sort of random people <laughs> and then put them in the same universe in a way that I was having a hard time. Um, wrapping your brain around. Wrapping your brain around. Um, <laughs> oh, I had a question again. So I apologize. I apologize because I have not read this. I have not read the original text. So Mr. Knightley, who eventually marries Emma, is the older brother of the guy that Emma's older sister married. Yeah. So 
her older sister married the younger brother and then the older brother marries the younger sister. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Pretty so, much. <laughs> I, I guess I will say that because again, my reference point is clueless. So I'm like, well, clearly that's not what happened because the way that they sort of <laughs> solved for that was that he was the son of a woman that Cher, who's Emma's mother or father had been married to. Um, so that they weren't blood, but they were sort of related. So I, but di- okay. Did they ever say that in the movie? Um, <clears throat> well, I think that's definitely a bit where they're like, we're not so much brother and sister that it would be inappropriate sort of to dance. Yes. But I suppose when that part. So they kind of like throw that in and I guess okay. the rest is more just the other, the siblings kind of show up. So clearly they're yeah, like, this sort of odd link that their baby is like her niece, but it's his niece and it's kind of, so it's, yeah. Okay. So I, yeah. sh- I should have gotten it from there. I did have to look it up later because I was confused. Um, is the, uh, is the brother. So it, I don't know his name. The other nightly. Other Mr. Knightley. <laughs> other Mr. Knightley is portrayed as a little bit bumbling and a little bit sentimental and just kind of, he sort of stands out a little bit as like maybe not quite in line with some of the, I don't know, society stuff. Is that also true in the book? Um, I don't really, I don't really feel like he's much that part of it. I don't really think there's as much of that, but I do kind of like the way he sort of portrayed that he's clearly like, okay, I've married this lady. She maybe wasn't as much of a hypochondriac before. And now she's like, terrible and then her and her dad get together and it's just like and the way that he keeps rolling his eyes because they're like you know he's not in well health and he's kind of like to mr knightley like oh i don't even know if i'll survive the trip back to, back home but like, he's kind of just like okay i'm just kind of putting up with what i've got because i'm stuck yes, with kind of interesting family members now <laughs> yeah like what did i marry into but yeah was mm. it a, a dinner that was ended very quickly because it yeah, the Christmas to dinner yeah. is Which, sort of like, I, that, I, it's yeah, terrible because like in, the whole, right. <laughs> everything. And then you just go like, Mr. Elton, like, why? You've just like completely ruined. <laughs> and then the Westerns are kind of like, what is happening? Like we've pre- prepared Christmas and then something's, everyone's freaking out and now everyone's left and we haven't even had like, you know, I'm sure there was like a giant meat that had been cooked and now they're yeah, just right, like, right. you know, everyone's left, but we have to kind of just put up with it because it's, you know, it's Emma's family, so we have to just like you know. Right. So we have to yeah, just the woodhouses are like flipping yeah. out. So we've just got to like go with it. But I don't want to go with it because you've wasted my Christmas dinner. But <laughs> but yeah, and then it's that sort of awkward bit that ends up in Clueless, where Cher has to end up in the car with Elton, and it's that whole like you know, but it's done right. in carriages. So then she's stuck with Mr. Yeah. Elton, and he sort of randomly just out of nowhere proposes, but. But I do like, you know, I do sort of like, because <clears throat> I mean, clearly I love Clueless, but I do like with this one that it kind of, they seem a bit more similar because I feel like this version, mm, yeah. even though it's definitely period, it feels quite sort of modern because it's really light and sort of sparkling. And I feel like sort of the colors in costumes are almost similar to Clueless because this Emma is in bright yellow a lot, mm-hmm. as well as Cher in her iconic plaid suit but it's kind of yeah. I feel like just the colors and the brightness like it feels 
very modern compared to especially other period versions. But I think that's why I like this one so much because it's kind of, it feels different, which is often hard to do in Jane Austen if you're doing it in the Regency period because there's not that much variation in what you can do. Like the styles are the same, everything houses look the same. But I do like that this one feels kind of fresh and different and like they're kind of like they're doing something different but not really because it's a timeless story that I get why Emma keeps being remade because it's like a perfect filmic story because it's got so many like fun beats and things to overcome and that sort of yeah and like mishaps and and yeah yeah uh (laughs) messages gone awry and things um the the farce of it yeah the um that that scene with the oh it's snowing and then the brouhaha that follows um for me it reminded me of uh, times in my youth when someone would say there might be freezing rain um which because you know we're in montana and and yes snow and ice and 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 um treacherous road travel is an issue of course but i felt like freezing rain was like an alarm word if someone said it, then it was like, oh my gosh, okay, well, we can't have people over. If people are over, what are we going to do? And is a relative coming on the highway and who's where and freezing rain? And so that's, it just gave me a little chuckle about, um, you know, preparing for weather. <laughs> totally. And uh, Shania, that's such, it's such a great point about how it feels so um, modern. I mean, it, it, the, the, some, some of the best adaptations of these sort of classic, novels whether it's jane austen or otherwise they they you know some go to pains to make it feel very different from our time and like oh look at how different it was at this time and others are like look at how similar some of this stuff is to the way we behave today and i think this one in in the specificity of the of the costumes and the and the uh, the even the way that they're speaking to one another and the way that the sort of um, social strata is being is being portrayed. I think that this is one that very much sort of brings it up to you and says, "Now look how similar life is in so many ways, uh, as well as being different." And I think that's for me that was part of why it felt so um, why I like it so much. I think is because it, it it refreshes it in this way that makes it feel like like today, even though it's very clearly not. Um, I when we're on the costumes, the costumes got a lot of you know publicity when the movie, movie came out, obviously because they're spectacular. And they do um, they do a lot of of work in the movie, um, not taking away from anybody else, but like they 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 do a lot. So I I, I um, you know in talking about Alexander Byrne, our costume designer. Um, uh, so I just a couple of credits I just want to point out um, in 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 her career. So she did a number of the costumes in um, uh, some of the um, of, uh, Marvel movies, starting with Thor. Thor was directed by Kenneth Branagh, uh, whom I whom I love, who I can't help but love. So, among her other credits are his Hamlet, the eighteen-hour Hamlet that he, that 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 uh, that he did, um, and then and and uh, and Murder on the Orient Express. She's done a couple of a couple of uh, those, Finding Neverland, uh, and but then her her you know. It's Thor, the Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Doctor Strange. This like run of Marvel movies that she did these costumes for, which is like, so has created a bunch of really kind of iconic costumes and and costumes that have to feel, in most cases, real in the real world, but also superhero in a way that this movie feels like I could see people wearing these clothes, but it's also it's like, there's exaggeration there's 
you know, the colors are brighter, the, you know, that there's, there's something and then, and that, and that they, they do so much story work in a way that um, those costumes and those uh, superhero movies have to kind of mm. do a lot of story work and be, re- and be ridiculous and out of context, but work in context. Anyway, I'm really, I'm just really impressed with her work. And I love that she's a, a, a Kenneth. <laughs> <laughs> That's can't, awesome. can't help it. Can't uh, help myself. Funny, I, was, uh, I, I didn't know about uh, that, that the clothes were so much of a discussion. I think what was interesting for me, like, I think you yeah, asked the exaggeration of the brightness or things, um, but then also there was so much work with the costumes, right? We see so much dressing and undressing, again, without it being objectifying, without it being <laughs> risque or scandalous in any way. But like so much kind of functional dressing and undressing. And like when she comes home from the ball and she's just dropping things in the hallway, <laughs> Um like that was so not, I don't know that I think there's kind of an extra layer there that is not always the case. Sometimes the costumes are just on the person, but there was mm-hmm. so much, I don't know, handling or like work that the costumes mm-hmm. were a, mm-hmm. a more living part of the scene than just draped. I don't know. It was, um, and shopping for fabric. And I mean, it's, it's the, the sort of construction of the costumes is, is text in the movie too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this one, it seems like less, because in other stories where the characters have less money, they kind of have less fancy clothes, but they actually also Mm -hmm. spend sort of more time buying ribbons, buying fabric, trying to decide what their, like, you know, fancy dress, because they're going to have this dress for the next, you know, all the balls they go to, because like the Bennetts, they don't really have, they have money, but compared to Emma, they don't have any money. But I feel like in, especially in this one, because Emma... She doesn't really, really, she just goes to the haberdasher just more for somewhere to like hang out and like get gossip and kind of, you know, be rude to Miss Bates. But I think she doesn't really need to spend time doing that because she clearly she has people that come in and they just buy the fabric and they, she doesn't have to deal with like what clothes am I going to wear. And also, I think showing that clothes don't really mean that much to her because people just come in and like, you know, put them on, take them off, take off her shoes, swap her dress. Like, you know, even when people are in there, like tailoring her skirts, she keeps like spinning around and the poor woman's like, can you just stop (laughs) moving? Like I'm trying to pin your skirt and you're like spinning around because Harriet's over there with a letter. And, but yeah, I think because, and I feel like showing her getting changed that often, I think it also just makes it seem like her and Mr. Knightley are sort of a bit kind of like silly because like they can't even put their own pants on. Like it's sort of, yes. it seems kind of very, but in other, like, a, you know, in Pride and Prejudice, even though they have kind of a maid, I think she more just like does their hair, but you can tell that like Elizabeth gets up in the day and she puts her own clothes on. Like a, so I think right. also shows the disconnect that Mr. Knightley has a bit more of an idea about what people are doing in the village. Cause he works with all the farmers, but he still can't put his own trousers on. Like a man has to come in and like, you know, put his pants on because he can't cover his own butt. But yeah. <laughs> and Emma like, has no idea. So she just has kind of, these women just come in and put these like fine gowns on Emma. And Emma has, you know, she can wear a different outfit every day. But then Harriet has sort of like, you know, a very limited number of clothes. So Harriet probably like treasures her clothes. But right, Emma right. kind of, right. they're just, you know, they're just fancy and nice. And that's just part of her lifestyle but yeah I can't wait to see the costumes probably crop up in other 
adaptations because I do always find that it doesn't matter who's made it, whether it's the BBC, whether it's an independent film, the clothes all seem to go like back into this magical wardrobe that whenever you make a Jane Austen <laughs> adaptation or anything sort of recency, <laughs> they kind of appear. Like there's websites where they go like, you know, Mr. Darcy in the 1995 one wore these pants and then someone else wore the pants and someone had the coat. And like, you can go through and find like, you know, every Jane Austen woman that's worn that particular dress. So, <clears throat> but the, these dresses are lovely. Like Emma's one at the end with all the green leaf yeah. detail mm-hmm. that has like that amazing leaf necklace and just like her clothes are just, I think just putting them on would make it really easy to act in that period. So you just kind of yeah. be like, here I am. And it very much you like the posture <laughs> and everything because you can't really slump if you're wearing a Regency, you know, <laughs> Empire waist sort right. of thing that you're very much just like, here I am. I'm fancy. I'm wearing this coat. But so I feel like, um, yeah, but the costumes are excellent. They're lovely. <laughs> When I when I put the movie on for my seven and a half year old daughter and she was um, not like I didn't know how long she'd stick with it. Like, you know, I, I had no expectation that she'd watch the whole thing. And she's a very active viewer of things. She's a, such a sponge. And she was like every time it would cut to a new scene and she'd be in a new co- Emma would be in a new costume and say, oh, I love that costume. That's my favorite. And then it cuts to the new costume. Oh, I love that costume. That's my favorite. <laughs> and same with the hair, whenever her hair would change and, you know, and, and she was also cluing into the um, relationships, even though it's confusing when you're, you know, you don't under like Mr. So-and-so and there's yes, a lot of talking. I was but, confused. I'll just say. <laughs> but watching it, she would say, Oh, she really likes him. Doesn't she, you know, or like, Oh, he, he's going to like her, but he can't say it yet. Or like really cluing into the subtext of this, of this thing. I'm like, I kept turning like, Holy cow. <laughs> do you know, do you know how amazing you are? <laughs> I say to my kid, but anyway, it was really fun to watch her sort of piece her way through it. Uh, um, and, and, and signposted by these costumes, but to see how much work the, the looks and the look of the movie did to tell the story for someone for whom the dialogue was so heightened, it was hard to follow the words it was it was neat to see how much of it came across in these other ways yeah i think that's great yeah i I agree i think that i mean i don't have to agree i wasn't there but um between sort of the glances and and eye contact things and then the way that it was shot with when it would focus on hands or focus on different areas i think that um there was a lot of show don't tell kind of stuff that I thought was super effective. Um, I do remember there was a second buns because in one of the times when they addressed Emma, she was in front of the fire because right, it was cold. And then she waited for the dressing maid to leave and then pulled up the dress um, to get more of the heat. So there was a Under second set of buns. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing that Multi-buns. people, so other um, lesser Austin experts on the internet um would like to point out is that while there's the clothes were layered and layered, like underwear wasn't a thing. And, and so I, I just think it's funny and all the like Regency facts websites I looked up that came up over and over again. A lot. Yeah. So I think people are just fascinated that they didn't, weren't wearing underwear per se. And yet from my perspective, there were so many layers by that point, it's kind of unnecessary. Um, But I'm, I'm glad we had the buns in the film to corroborate the um, top 10 lists of all these experts online that indeed there were no knickers. 
I feel like those fresh, you know, country walks they're doing a lot. I feel like that would just get a bit breezy up there. You're doing, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing a brisk walk, rain or shine in the winter, like strolling through the cut. Like I feel like that would be, you know, might have a lot of layers, but yeah. I feel like uh, there's a bit of a breeze. <laughs> And also, they're outside areas. kind of getting damp a lot. And so I wonder mm-hmm. how often – I hate that, like, wet cold. Like, I just – I feel like if I were in that time period, I would just be damp all the time. And it would but Maybe I would be <laughs> Mr. Woodhouse of, like, there's a draft. <laughs> <laughs> there's a draft about yes. the names. <laughs> is, there, is there anything that you, um, that you didn't like as much in, uh, in Emma? A spoiler alert, there's not really for me. I really loved everything about this movie. I have a I have a hard time finding finding things. But I, I didn't know maybe our our our, our Austin expert had yeah. a quibble here or Island if you Yeah, I know I don't I'm really not educated enough. I don't really feel that I did. I think it kind of I feel like it covered a few more things from the book that isn't always covered in every because mm-hmm. you can't cover everything because it's there is quite a lot of <clears throat> plot in the book that you can't cover every time but I feel like it sort of I think it did cut out an extra bit that's often in other adaptations where they're kind of at the bit at Box Hill and Frank Churchill's like playing this sort of game like with letters and they're spelling out words it's kind of like a Scrabble game sort of thing but he does this thing where he kind of spells out Dixon in these letter things as another dig towards Jane Fairfax which because it's he tries to sort of pretend that she and Mr. Dixon are kind of having something inappropriate, mm-hmm. but he's just doing that to deflect that they're actually engaged. But they often put that in. And that's one of the things that kind of makes Emma seem even more cruel because she kind of plays mm-hmm. along with that. She kind of like laughs and draws attention to the fact that, you know, they're kind of doing something nasty. No one else knows what they're doing, but Jane clearly knows what they're doing. But um, so I feel like not including that kind of seemed a bit better because often it's kind of mm-hmm. that and then it's the when she's nasty to miss bait so often it kind of just like really compounds the sort of emma being nasty at that point in time so i think not having that was probably better see now i'm talking about better things about it but no i don't <laughs> i don't really i don't really think there wasn't anything about it that i didn't like like it, i think yeah. yeah i think it was spot on but yeah, so all good things. I, th- I, th- <laughs> I think not having that makes that Miss Bates scene in the picnic worse because mm-hmm. it's you're or in more impactful maybe where it's like oh here she goes there and we're like it's kind of been building mm-hmm. to it with her interactions with Miss Bates all along and we've been annoyed by her as well so we're a little bit complicit with it too um, and I I think that that um, uh, it really and and she finally understands kind of what the impact of kind of what she's saying and doing. And I think maybe it would be less it lessened maybe with the other, mm. um, the other scene. Cause other times it's just like another nasty thing that Emma's doing that right. kind of, she's not right. really taking stock of the fact that she's being nasty, but this one, it seems more like of a gut punch for her, especially cause then Mr. Knightley's like, right. it was badly done. And she's kind of like, no one's ever told me off before. Like people right. usually just kind of go along with what I do. So I'm kind Smile of, and, yeah. I'm feeling a bit conflicted now. Cause I don't really, like, I think she definitely, you can tell straight away. She's kind of like, uh, sort of feel like I shouldn't have said that, but okay. I'm rolling with it. Cause I'm Emma and people just go along with it. But I think, yeah, it makes it 
yeah, better because it's just an isolated incident of <clears throat> her being just really cruel right. rather than just it's just another cruel Emma thing that you know she doesn't notice because mm. she's just like that with everyone. But mm. right, right, another glove glove dropped on the floor for the servants <laughs> to pick up. Yeah, I um, this is not a criticism of this movie per se um but it is kind of my least favorite male hair thing is, <laughs> is like the sideburns down to the jawline especially with the high collars like i just <laughs> it i i find that wildly unattractive and then when you add that it's like a flesh colored beard i'm out you're, you're um, done you're and done. so that was that was tough for me being a johnny flynn fan but again, it's not a criticism of the movie. It's just a personal. <laughs> I just like whiskers on a collar. Ah, that's just, that's just, 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 just give her the buns. Keep the whiskers <laughs> to yourself. Give me the buns. Keep the whiskers. Absolutely, <laughs> perfectly said. So I, I'm super curious, Tobin. Um, what else? Um, your seven and a half year old had to say about this film. Well, as a matter of fact, I asked her a couple questions about what she thought about uh, about Emma, and so if if you if if you don't mind, I'd love to share her thoughts uh, for a minute here, and then uh, and then we can see what what a seven and a half year old's review of Emma period was. Love it. So you watched the movie Emma. Did you like it? Um. Yes, I really did like it. What did you like about it? Um. I really liked that all of the characters were really experienced with being on the TV. Like, they weren't afraid and stuff. Do you think you'd be afraid on the TV? No. Who's your favorite character in Emma? My favorite character is probably Emma. And why do you like Emma? Because... You know, I have a friend named Emma, and she's really nice, and I know she'd really like to know that that there's a movie named after her. Now, you talked about liking the costumes. What did you like about the costumes in Emma? I really like the costumes that they design because they're so special and one of a kind. You also, I think you've you told me as we were watching it. Every time we saw Emma, you liked the way they did her hair. Yeah, I love the smell of curls. That only happened to me once when I did those little braids from the top to the bottom. When you had curls like that, mm-hmm. would you recommend Emma to people? Should people watch this movie? Yes. What would you tell someone to say? Hey, you should watch this movie. Why should people watch Emma? I would say. Well, it's really good, and I know everybody at my school loves costumes. So I would say there are a lot of really fun costumes in it, and a lot of really great experienced actors in it. Thanks for chatting with us. Okay, bye. Amazing. Fabulous <laughs> review. Yeah, excellent review. <laughs> they, were, they weren't scared. They weren't scared to be on camera. Those actors were not scared to be on, on camera. Yeah. I love it. And I, 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 I see in that a love of couture, mm-hmm. one of a kind, sure. special mm-hmm. yep. garments. And that's absolutely what we saw on the screen. So I, I love that. That's great. <laughs> Thank you for indulging. indulging love us. It. Would you folks like to play a game? Definitely. Okay, as I said, um, I 
did some high-level internet research this afternoon. And I went down the sermon route, and that didn't help me much. And then I went down the Regency-era trivia, which, fascinating, but not super helpful. So instead, I brought it back to what it is we all have in common, which is the Cage Club Podcast Network. So... I have a, um, it's a simple sort of three questions for you all um, related to our, you know, parent company here. Um, This game is called Artistic License. And um, I will ask, I will ask you each these three questions um, and then I will judge the winners. So as we know, um, the, the, one of the pillars of the network is the Fast and the Furious franchise. And so my question to you is, if, if you both were in charge, would you rather make a Fast and Fur- Furious prequel in Regency <laughs> England or cast Vin Diesel and the gang in a period drama? What would you do? Ooh. What would you rather um, I'm just basing this Gosh. on no knowledge because I have never seen a Fast and the Furious ever. Um, I yeah, haven't, haven't gone there. I know that's a big thing on the network, but uh, you know, um, I feel like either would. I've only seen one, so I'm I'm only yeah. only one. Yeah, like either ahead. would Sorry, be an interesting watching experience. Um, can't really picture Vin Diesel doing period dialogue um so that could sort of be an interesting one um but maybe like a sort of fast and the furious kind of set in regency times would be funny because then it would just be carriages because yeah no one would really be going that fast but they could be furious they'd be a bit slow and furious but uh I feel like that would be yes. that would be funny. A period Fast and Furious. The the trotting the trotting yeah. and the furious. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I Tobin? I can't I can't make a case for Vin and the gang in a period piece, so I'm just gonna have to to, to cede this point uh to Shani because that's I would love to see the slow furious carriage prequel <laughs> to the Fast and Furious. Nice. Okay. Second question, the stakes are a little bit higher. So um, I am an occasional guest and sometimes co-host on High School Slumber Party, High School Slumber Party AP. Um, so if we are adapting classics to high school, right? That's old news. Clueless, we've talked about, um, you know, 10 Things I Hate About You and She's the Man or both Shakespeare adaptations, etc. But how about we place contemporary teen film in the 19th century. We're going to do a backwards Hmm. clueless. Okay. Yeah. I have three, from my perspective, original contemporary teen films to choose from. But if you have one of your own, you could add it. So would you rather adapt to Regency period blockers, book smart, or the bling ring? (laughs) <laughs> and why? Wow. I guess I would say blockers 
because it would be fun to see multi-generational comedy in yeah yeah hijinks you know so we're sort of following the parents and the young people you know simultaneously maybe just because i do like bill nye so much in this movie that i'm imagining you know following that story those stories along too so i would say blockers interesting and would it just be hand-holding that they were trying to stop them from doing yes exactly it would be keeping the gloves on in the dance you know it's it's exactly that yeah too much (laughs) <laughs> Johnny, what do you think? Um, well, out of those, I've only seen Book Smart. Um, I can, you could adapt that into a period piece. Um, I feel the ages would have to be different because people didn't go to school as long back then, so they might sort of be about, like twelve right. if they had lots of money. Um, but I guess you could sort of adapt, or you could sort of ad- maybe not school, but you could adapt it to some sort of finishing that sort of thing I don't like you know deportment that sort of so I feel like you could sort of do that clearly it would be rather tame because it would be in period times but I suppose you could sort of go around meeting kind of maybe some malcontents of the village or something to bring some sort of (laughs) kind of edge to it because otherwise if it was just like in hybrid or something it wouldn't really be uh it wouldn't really be anything sort of (laughs) Controversial happening, but uh, I guess yeah. So I think Booksmart could work. I think you'd have to kind of really work on kind of a central idea that I'm. I'm it's not coming to mind, but I'm sure you could work it somehow. <laughs> and and to be fair, I don't think it's common to take a contemporary and put it back in time. This is like the, the, to to reperiod something. I don't know. I might. We might have come up with a new hmm. concept here. Hmm. Right wow, to periodize something. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My final and favorite question. Um, using the Cage Club roster of stars, right? So starting with Nicolas Cage, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Channing Tatum, Zach Efron, uh, Charlize, Ryan Gosling, Elvis Presley, Charlize Theron, Winona Ryder. And any who I'm not thinking of, um, which Cage Club celebrity would you want to have in the one man show version of Emma? (laughs) (laughs) Sort of written and directed for the stage as a one man show. Like, you know. I was thinking how Fleabag was originally a one-woman show. Right, And right. so if Emma was a one-woman show and you had the Cage Club pantheon <laughs> of stars to choose from, who would you write and direct Emma for? Mm. Hmm. That is a tough one. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm tempted to say Winona Ryder, but that feels like cheating. Why? Well, because it feels like if you if you're given this pantheon of stars, shouldn't you take a real risk? <laughs> I don't know. I think Winona Ryder in a one woman show of of this would be would certainly be um, a risk. I'm imagining the Tom Cruise Emma. <laughs> mm. Like 
<laughs> like, I, I mean, what how, could you could that is that even possible? I don't know, but I would pay to see the attempt. I think he'd really just go for it, like, he'd just put his all into being every single totally. character. Um, all five foot two, he'd be racing after the carriages, you know, it's a mm. whole. Run, uh, run hard. We're right, yeah, so Mr. Knightley. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, I sort of feel like I was going to say Winona, but I don't. I don't know. I think she's done period films before. I don't. I don't think it would be as challenging for her to do compared to some other people. But I feel like a really good <laughs> one woman show of Emma would be good if it had Winona in it. But I feel like if you wanted to kind of go a bit experimental and very risky, I think you'd probably have Keanu doing it because we know that he does struggle a little <laughs> yes. bit when he's had to do kind of period language because it just kind of sounds like Ted doing some Regency yeah. stuff. But I sort of feel like yes. him trying to be everyone in Emma, I feel like that could be excruciating. You could be sitting there going, I feel like I'm dying in your place because I'm just so embarrassed that this is happening. But it could, it could be good. But yeah, I think if you wanted, he is very. Charming. I think if you wanted to have a guaranteed better viewing experience, I think you'd go with Winona. But if you wanted something unexpected, <laughs> then definitely Keanu is is doing Emma. Yeah. Nice. I, I like that version. My, I would watch the hell out of a. I'd watch the hell out of a Keanu, <laughs> Emma, one man show. And th- imagine the gifts that oh. would come out of that. Like the internet would be on fire from the from the one one man show of Emma starring Keanu. Hundred percent. Yes. No. The internet would love that. And I think we should start pitching that. All the all the contenders fans out there. Um. Thank you all so much. This is more of a set of thought experiments than a game. <laughs> I do apologize, but I, I did think all three questions had merit. And and I think absolutely, Shawnee, as our guest, you have won the game tonight. Great. Congrats. Thank Congratulations. You. Good game. Good game. <laughs> Thanks, Aislinn. Anytime. So now is the point in our podcast where we give our closing thoughts on the movie and decide whether it is progressive or regressive. Is Emma a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? Aislinn, what say you? I say absolutely um, progressive. Uh, while the the storyline itself has, you know, is, is from a different era, um, even within that, I think there's a critique of... Um, of traditional partnerships and, and what should happen and why. Um, and then just, you know, from all the dings we had, um, there were so many um, women came together to make this happen um, behind and in front of the camera. And yeah, I think, I think it's going to, it will open more doors for um, artists and technicians in all those arenas. So progressive from me. What about awesome. you? Or what about you, Shani? Yeah, I definitely um yeah, I definitely think it's progressive because yeah, clearly it's a <clears throat> story of a different time. So it kind of the gender stuff is a bit different, clearly, but I feel like at least with the end of this one, the marriage 
would probably be a bit more equal because they kind of both come from money. Mr. Knightley doesn't really do anything either, so it's not kind of like Emma's having to give up. And I sort of feel like the fact that he then moves in with her, that kind of seems a bit more kind of progressive because then it's really, you know, he's sort of down, everything's on her terms because it's at her house, that sort of thing. But, yeah, I feel like the fact that this movie had so many amazing roles that were all kind of fleshed out for women because it's often rare these days that there's films that there's, you know, more than like three women in it. So the fact that there's just women everywhere and they're all quite strong female characters and the fact that there were so many women making this film, which is always amazing because it's not enough of that. There really is not enough (laughs) of that. So I definitely feel like for just filmmaking in general, but definitely Jane Austen filmmaking, this is definitely very progressive because we definitely need a lot more of this from now on in a lot of period dramas because a lot are written by women, not just Jane Austen ones. So, um, yeah, definitely a tick for me. <laughs> awesome. Tobin? Yeah, I completely agree. Obviously, I'm not going to say this is regressive. Um, and I and I just I just I really enjoy this movie. This is one I will return to frequently, I think. Um, and I and I can't wait to see how it sort of opens up going forward. Sometimes I I my seven year old we have it now on a on a you know streaming service that we, we I bought it on a streaming service so she can watch it whenever she wants. I don't mind if she watches Emma. I think that's wonderful. Um, and so uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a big champion, and I think this is uh, progressive. Um, Aislinn, what are we going to talk about next? Gosh, I don't know. Um, could anyone guess? <laughs> we are going to uh, continue the Jane Austen love fest for the fall, and we are going to talk about Clueless um, from 1995, which we have mentioned several times in this episode. So it is, I mean, it's not a it's not a two-parter, but it's kind of, in some ways, a continuation of the conversation Um, And also a brand new conversation. Join us for Clueless. Awesome. Hey. So, Shawnee. It's not Iceland, so I don't know what you're doing. I know, but you paused, so I was jumping in. Shawnee, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion and for bringing your expertise on Jane Austen and all of the Emmas. Um, Where can... Uh, folks find you if you want to be found um, to be told how great uh, you are on this podcast. Well, any good feedback is welcome. So I will definitely. Uh, um, so yeah, people can just find me um, on Twitter. It's just at Shawnee Mead. Um, yeah, I'll probably, I mainly just post about watching movies, but now that it's October, I'll be posting pretty much exclusively about Halloween. So um, also nice. about this podcast, I'll definitely be, yeah, so if I don't, I tweet a lot, but it's not, you know, never anything serious. But if you want just gifts of Halloween, then you know where to find me. <laughs> Love it. Uh, may I ask an ignorant question? Um, is there trick or treating in Australia? And it, but and and is it is it similar to here, or is there a different? Like, is it a thing, or what is the um, thing that replaces? Well, it, it is. I mean, Halloween is not really a full-on holiday here like it is in America, which is very unfortunate because I love Halloween. My mom always watched the uh, Charlie Brown Halloween special when she was a kid, so she always loved Halloween, so she brought me up to love Halloween as well. But unfortunately, we 
live on the wrong hemisphere for our love of Halloween. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, I don't know, I feel like Halloween kind of increases some years and other years people are like, oh, it's stupid. But we do get trick-or-treating and especially in our neighbourhood, we have a lot of young families and we've kind of encouraged that trick-or-treating is good in our neighbourhood. So it's, yeah, it's the same. Kids come around, nice. costumes. Often they don't have specific like Halloween bags. Often there's a lot of pillowcase action going on that they just have a pillowcase or they just have <laughs> the hands to have some lollies. But yeah, it's pretty much the same, just not anywhere at the same level as the States. But gotcha. uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. So I thought better to ask than to continue to wonder. So thank you. And thank you for um, promoting Halloween in your neighborhood. Well, I I'm think just that's doing, wonderful. I'm just doing my bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tobin, where, where can folks find you virtually these days? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington, all one word. I have, as I've said before, taken it off my phone. So I'm not on with near the frequency that I was. And it's it's really helped my my blood pressure uh, in the last uh, couple of months. So but, I, but I'm still there. You can still reach out to me and I will still uh, I, I will still see you. If you, uh, if you want to raise your hand and say hello. Asa, what about you? Well, my blood pressure issues and my Twitter usage are independent, I believe, because um, <laughs> I just mostly have dogs on my Twitter. Um, so I am at SassyNerdMT on Twitter, and I have an Instagram now. All right. And based on a podcast recording last night, I now know how to find it when people have have asked to join mine or follow me because it's private. I didn't know that. And there was like a list of <laughs> a lot of like friends and family people that I just waiting to be... ignored yeah. for several weeks. So apologies. It's, it's very exclusive. <laughs> I'm an elderly millennial and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I'm Iceland.ruth on my Instagram, which is again, new and I'm learning um, at sassy nerd MT. And then if you enjoy the sound of my voice, um, go to cageclub.me. Uh, to see the list of things that I've lent my voice to on the network. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at contenders underscore pod or on Patreon at thecontenderspod.com. Special thanks to our members who've joined at the marquee level or above, Sean Flynn and Jeff Addington. Um, a little extra shout out as, as often happens. I texted a simple sentence to Sean Flynn a few weeks ago and he called me in response to that text and we laughed I cannot tell you like it was the full body my stomach was sore I had such a 10 minute giggle fest that I have not had this whole pandemic so I would like to thank Sean Flynn for his support of our show and for giving me the giggles um, based on a simple text about the sitcom Scrubs. <laughs> That's um, the best part. <laughs> I know, it's so sad. Uh, so, folks, please uh, consider going and getting some of that merch. Go to TeePublic and search for The Contenders Podcast. I promise it's there, and it's great. We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows at cageclub.me, and you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at cageclubpod. As always, thank you so much for listening. I am Tobin Addington. Um, I'm Shawnee Mead. I'm Iceland Addington, and we'll see you next time on The Contenders. 
Did you freeze? Are you frozen? Or are you just I'm holding that position? Oh, were, no. Okay. <laughs> Was I? Okay. My my uh, my bars are full and green. Yeah, they are now. Everybody's was yellow. Mine's yellow. Pardon. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> so hey, you, you said you want to play a game, and I said, <laughs> "Yes, we do." 